It's Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who episode commentary podcast that tries to accentuate the positive, with me, Toby Haydock. Hello, Toby. Um, my name is Gary Russell, and I have had one or two small involvements with Doctor Who over the years, nothing particularly major or important compared to most. Um, so the story I've given you to go and wear and watch is Robots of Death. Welcome. It's episode four of The Robots of Death, a fine Doctor Who story uh, that's uh, had quite a few missives landing in my inbox, because if you are a patron of mine, God, that still feels so awkward. Uh, But it's the way things are done these days, and I need to get over myself. Um, uh, I've I've, uh, suggested to patrons, I've I've given them... uh, an idea of the stories coming up to see uh, if there's anything that they can uh, send me that prompts any memories or discussion points. And Duncan Harvey, hello Duncan, and thank you, um, says, just as an aside, I vividly remember watching this on original TX and also the Christmas repeat. I recently came across a PDF of the Radio Times Christmas 1977 double edition and thought to myself, I remember there being a picture of a VOC on the relevant page of the listings. And sure enough, when I got to the relevant bit, there it was. It really must have seared itself into my memory. I'd have been nearly seven at the time, and it's always amazing to think of such little moments lodging permanently into your memory. A bit like a message in a bottle that you finally get round to opening. Uh, I mean, so much of my childhood is snatched little memories of seeing a bit of Doctor Who and those. I mean, you know, when we didn't have access to the videos and everything, you know, a, a photo, just a photo was, I mean, manna from heaven, and it was was something to be cherished. And, and I think you implanted things in your memory because that was your way of experiencing them, because you knew they weren't to hand. I, I soak up information so badly these days, and I think it's partially because I know that oh, I just have to click on Wikipedia, whereas if Wikipedia, or whatever, but if it, if it, you know, if it wasn't a click away, I think my brain would would be keener to store that information away. And that's why I think... Uh, the human race's uh, capacity for thought, memory and cognizance is atrophying at an exponential rate and we'll all be mushy-brained simpletons within a generation. Um, (laughs) That's what I've decided. Um, So as one of the last... That's one of the last examples of Homo sapiens. Uh, (laughs) uh, Come with me as I... uh, uh, get sapien about episode four of a brilliant Doctor Who story called The Robots of Death. And I'm going to press play in three, two, one, now. And this story has been set for me, here we go, by Gary Russell, who was a name to conjure when I was a time tot. He was the, he wrote for Doctor Who magazine, but also had the the allure of being Dick from the Famous Five, and we had the Famous Five books, and it had the actors' names on the back, and it was a, it was an amazing thing to go. Gary Russell from Doctor Who magazine is is Dick from the Famous Five, amazing. Um, and I've since had the pleasure of meeting him and working with him, and he's a very nice chap. Uh, and answered the call, one of the first to answer the call to suggest a story, and of course he suggested one of the best Doctor Who stories of them all, The Robots of Death. Starring Tom Baker uh, and Russell Hunter, Lonely from Callan, uh, which was enough to, I think, get this kudos in in my house because 
Callan was the sort of show that my brothers watched and it was big and grown up and people swore and smoked and died and double-crossed each other and oh, life was tough. Uh, 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 but it's a prime example of great character acting and, and casting against type and getting something really interesting because I think Russell Hunt is great. I, I doubt I'm going to pick an individual actor f for this story because they're all very good. I, I'm, I, 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 I don't think Tarek Eunice really gets enough to do um it's not much of a part and tanya rogers i i think shows that she's perhaps the least experienced but i i applaud the casting of both of them um uh, uh and and they're fine i think it's just that in this company they perhaps come up slightly shorter look at that the lights have gone off darkness in doctor who that's what you want doctor who often Doctor Who was sort of written up as atmospheric and dark uh, but actually because of studio lighting there aren't many stories that actually take place in much darkness uh, so when the lights go off but the, but Duncan Brown again Duncan Brown's lighting here is superb and this is when Pam this yeah this is genuine sort of begging for your life and and people don't say much that's eloquent I don't think in times of great stress apart from no and please and and I, and it's so plaintive and so convincing I, and and hard that is hard to do I would say and she does it well uh uh oh uh the robots we know that the robots their anonymity is now uh not not necessary uh, uh the 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 sharp focus on the doctor with the robot in focus at the back this is a this is the kind of uh oh beginning of the last episode the uh the iron fibers have hit the fan um so you know the stakes are up now the uh there's a robot revolution um uh I mean, that's just that's a slightly uh, uh yeah the the reaction to having a hat put on you is uh it 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 is it, perhaps a, a little hard to believe but i do uh but i do like the fact that sv7 because he's a robot of course doesn't lose his rag just goes v4 that is not the doctor and and there is something there's something quite charming as well as deadly, as well as inscrutable, as well as innocent, as well as terrifying. They they work on many different levels and that's a brilliant shot. The way that shot is done, because it starts from quite far away and we're sort of on the robot and then as the robot comes in, we go in and focus on what looks like a dead tooth. There's some very nifty camera work here. Um, uh, and yeah, and the, the, the lights have gone a little bit dark. Um, a very very mad scientist tom baker's eyes are gorgeous aren't they uh, it's, uh, uh the actor david weston described them to me as boiled egg eyes which I, I do like boom please do not throw hands at me oh i love you d84 <laughs> and i love that line which again i hadn't remembered from the book uh, <laughs> isn't that just glorious and yes credit to um chris boucher for who was a relatively novice writer, wasn't he? And he, he, he came in uh, and I think understood Doctor Who immediately and, and gave it this sort of sardonic wit, uh, this world building that that was, you know, also the uh, the trademark of Robert Holmes, a brilliant script editor. Um, Philip Pinchcliffe, a, a, a rigorous producer who, you know, because this is the era famed for sort of gothic horror. So... I, th I think sometimes in our sort of memories and view of uh, this era, we sort of forget the the attempts at, uh, that 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 when they do sci-fi, out and out sci-fi, there's still a sort of hard literary angle to the sci-fi in the way that you know the scary 
horrific ones are from from gothic literature this this has elements and indeed ideas um from from isaac asimov i'm not i've not i'm not a big reader of science fiction i'm i'm not sure i'm a can i say this <laughs> i'm not sure i'm a fan of science fiction um but i love doctor who more than anything um so that's curious isn't it um and i mean i've watched all of Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and all of Blake Seven and, <laughs> and all of The Prisoner. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm fans of those things. I, lo I love that that frozen robot with the lasers and probe in its noggin. That's brilliant. So, uh, and I think my, my favourite Doctor Whos tend to be the ones with an Earth element. Uh, and I think Russell T. Davis's instincts when he talked about... Um, you know, even if we're not on Earth, we need to tie to Earth in order to invest us as the audience. So this is where this has been very successful again, because it doesn't have that. It breaks that rule and yet it works and makes uh, a virtue of it. Because although these aren't people uh, making references to places that we understand, the references that they do make we un we we buy into. The founding families is some sort of caste system, some sort of class system. Um, there are detectives. There is a Caldor city. There is there is money. There is all of that stuff that that means that even though we we can't, we, you know, we we're given no image of what life on Caldor city is like. We're given enough information, and these characters are well enough drawn that that doesn't matter. Uh, and that's not, I would say, that is not easy to do. Uh, and Boucher. Um, does image of the Fendal and then doesn't come back to Doctor Who and I think I think Blake Seven's gain was Doctor Who's loss because uh, I think he could have done wonders with it or maybe we'd have had a, a sort of a carbon copy of Robert Holmes or, or you know Robert Holmes a, a slight variation on Robert Holmes because there are similarities I'm not saying there's Boucher's in any way unoriginal because he is but I, I think he shares some of Holmes's DNA uh, and maybe Doctor Who thrives on change and having somebody that's a bit similar is is wrong so no regrets but uh, I do like Chris Boucher's stuff the the frozen robots is a fantastic idea um, uh, again it's quite uh, it's quite unsettling and murder for the actors I would think because I don't think they're shop window dummies. I think they're they're actors having to stand still. Um, this this piping on the on the banister bits of the set does does look a little bit drawn on. But actually, in that shot, it it doesn't look like it's drawn on. But when it goes down the corner at the bottom, it does look a little bit felt tippy, even though it's not. Uh, oh, D eighty four pool is damaged. Oh, <laughs> oh, poor and poor old poor old pool. Um, yeah, look at those actors. That, that's an actor on one foot on the stairs. Good for you. Uh, Tom Baker, very dark and brooding and full of sort of simmering energy there. You believe that he's a... And he's timeless, isn't he? I know he's got big 70s hair, but it doesn't look like big 70s hair. It looks like Doctor Who's hair. Um, whereas you watch other programmes set in the 70s and people have big hair, it looks like you're in the 1970s. I don't think this looks like the 1970s. Um, I 
who said he was a hunter, all that about body language. That's so clever. And that's good use of Leela as well. Uh, robophobia. And robophobia, uh, of course, is robophobia. Two things I've done. I've done two things called robophobia. The first ever special feature on a DVD I did was called robophobia. And I, and I accepted that with open arms because the DVD range had been going for a bit. So this was the... This was the the special edition of the... It's the one I'm watching, the special edition. I'm on this disc of the Robots of Death. Uh, sorry to talk through uh, uh, Russell Hunter being very, very good here. Uh, and this backstory, which vindicates Yuvanov and shows that actually with Zilda's brother, he was doing a decent thing. That's all great stuff because uh, it's just all texture for the plot and for the character. But it's it's well wrought. It gives the actor something good to do, uh, and it's an unexpected twist on uh, what we thought we knew about the character earlier on. Very detailed, very good. But yeah, I did this uh, this documentary. It was my I done commentaries, obviously, but uh, my first on screen presenting, and I thought at that time only. So as I say, I accepted it with open arms. Uh, pronounced Carol Chapek wrong. We actually did it with two different takes, pronouncing it two different ways, but neither of them the correct way. I think I said Capetch, which is which on the day we just frantically went, should we do that? Oh. Uh, and we should have, yeah. Anyway, I wasn't the director. That was Richard Higson, lovely Richard Higson, did this great thing and gave me the great honour of yeah presenting my first thing on a DVD. And we did it in a ladies' house. It's a 1950s house, which is gorgeous. And it's quite fun and it's just a bit of frippery. And I thought that was it. I'm presenting a documentary. Didn't know I'd do any more. <laughs> Um, uh, and then I, and not that I did a big finish play, which is the second one I did, but the first one that came out called Robophobia. Um, so if anybody's making anything called Robophobia, I'm afraid I have to be in it. That's the law. Um, so I've got Robophobia twice on my CV and they're two different things. Um, yeah, uh, and, and, and yes, Tusin Yovanov just spent the whole, the rest of the episode going off blowing up robots now but now i talked through the bit in the hopper um where i talked through all of it i've got to talk through all of it that's the thing um duncan harvey says when lisa when leela and tusa are in the hopper and leela says because that wasn't sv7 why does she say this i've never been able to understand why this isn't sv7 am i being thick i just think it's clumsily done duncan i think what she means is that sv7 has had his command circuit overridden and so is now not operating as SV7 should. And that's why he didn't recognise. I, I think it has to be that. Um, and because they, they recognise people through vocally through the command grid, I, I think it's just slightly clumsily done. Um, but I, 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 I do agree, it does kind of stick out. Uh, it does kind of stick out slightly. Let me in and there he is. It's dusk. Dusk is the bad guy um, who's now painted himself like a robot uh, and changed his jacket. So he doesn't have the Dusk's jacket, which is the one that uh, that I wore. Um, oh, and Gary, yes, Gary mentioned that this robot is the only one that doesn't have a nameplate. And that's quite right, uh, which I is not something I had noticed in the 30 times I have watched this before. Um Yes, Borg's probably. I think there was a f scene filmed with Borg about to get killed that got cut. Or or they didn't have time to film it. But, um, uh, and yes, of course, of course, of course Borg, Borg is the big and strong one. Um, uh, 
Body language, Leela, that's right. Um, oh, God, I've just... Cause she's, she's, I've just had that image of those publicity photos of Leela where she's slightly... Uh, so, sort of given makeup, um, uh, browned up, would you say? And uh, I mean, I remember when I first saw it, I said, "Why? Why did she look like she's got coffee on her face?" And I went, "Oh no! Have they tried to? Have, have they sort of tried to sort of brown her up? Um, which would have been really unfortunate." Um, uh, and we must be relieved that they didn't do that. Um, but they did. They change her eye colour, don't they? Uh, yes. So that's not Louise Jameson's natural eye colour, as we will discover when we get to the horror of Fang Rock. That's bruises on Pamela Salem's neck are pretty grim, aren't they? She's been through the war, poor old Toos. Uh, good names as well, aren't they? Toos and uh, Uvanov. Uvanov is a brilliant name. Uvanov, I thought he was called. Uh, there's quite a few names. I might do a podcast about... Uh, about names that when you read them in the in the Target books or whatever, or saw them written down and then heard them for the first time, I've still not got over crinoid. Uh, the crinoid. Um, and now this is nifty, isn't it? Because uh, they've established that people are recognised by their voice print. Again, um, yeah, and they don't know what Taryn Capel looks like. I, th- I think Caldor City, you need to you t- need to pay more attention to faces. I'm all for not judging by appearances, but I think, uh, I, yeah, I, I think a photo fit is not a it's not an unnecessary thing to add to the list of things when you're compiling your dossier on uh, megalomaniac scientists on the run. Um, uh, but yes, the the whole the fact that we yes we recognise people because their voice printer is on the command circuit. Uh, look at that, and that's great. The shadow of the robot, poor old pool carrying in front of it. Um, and here's a line you can have some fun with, I think. Is this the one? Oh, it's always amused me as a child. Um, and he's got a... So is this... Is this where he says the... Uh, I, I think, I mean, I'm I'm pausing now just for a terrible double entendre. No, no, it's not the way he's got. Anyway, we'll. But yes, here we are. His pool carrying in front of the the see-through door that has the shadow of the robot. That's that's really spooky stuff. You know, this is this is it's Saturday tea time. This is as close Doctor Who gets to sort of alien, you know, scary, um, terrifying stuff on a on a sort of space vessel sort of thing look at that that's brilliant the smoking robot coming through the door this is action-packed doctor who um i think you're quite right ivanov off you go to blow things up um uh that was a great sequence that and this and this is you know stuff uh with two supporting characters who we never see again not in tv's doctor who i know both actors return to the roles which is delightful uh, whereas David Bailey played the Celestial Toymaker for Big Finish. Um, and Miles Fothergill, SV7, a picture turned up of him on the set of Blake 7 the other day where he was incredibly buff. Um, it, I, and, and, and sometimes bad is where um, oh, our brothers from bondage... And we will be irresistible. We will release more of our brothers from bondage, and we will be irresistible. I mean, 
there's certain parties where you can say that and it means an entirely different thing. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you want a double entendre, I'll give you one. Um, um, so, yeah, you've got the, the, the helium thing. I've never done the... In, uh, 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 the inhaling helium thing although I, I seem to think it's all rage I know my son has told me that some of he and his friends have done it at parties inhaling helium from a balloon I think it can be quite dangerous so it's one of those things when you have teenage sons you just have to be a bit bolshy about but know that no matter what you say they're going to do the things anyway oh, it's, it's hard being a parent um and who'd have thought that, yes, but, but, oh, D84, oh, that is, he didn't even get to do anything brave, you think, but of course, he, he, he does shortly after, but that's horrible, um, and, and, you know, the doctor is, is clearly upset, which is quite right, because Tom Baker's doctor is not always upset when something bad happens to people, in fact, I think he's more upset about D84 than he is about, <laughs> sort of, Varsh, or, um, or even Lawrence Scarman. Um, but that's what sort of keeps you guessing with, with Tom Baker, that uh, that sometimes unpredictable, sometimes difficult, but always otherworldly uh, doctor. He's good, isn't he? Um, yeah, lucky he's got no eye for art. <laughs> um, yeah, we might get a chance to use one of these... Um, So, yeah, so I'm going to burn out your brain very, very slowly. So this is where the Lazerson probe uh, is used to torture the doctor. Oh, but he says, doesn't he, don't say you're one of those boring villains that's going to gloat. So we get a little bit what you would nowadays call uh, meta. Um, uh, and it's the sort of thing that I think Tom Baker had a bit more fun with later on. But um, everybody's taking the whole thing so seriously. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come across like that in, in such a way. Uh, great shot of Leela in the in the cupboard. Camera work is so good, um, but even the sound effects as well. It's it's just a very serious, a production of serious intent, albeit one that's being made for you know children's television at tea time with a with a man with it's, uh, it's a production with serious intent. Says Toby. Immediately cut to a man with silver and green face. <laughs> but but yes, I, nonetheless. I I, th I think it is, um, and of course the kids watching will be going. Oh yeah, his voice is changing, uh, and you're slightly one step ahead of the uh, the villain. Now, why he doesn't notice his voice has changed uh, doesn't really matter. Um, it's it's a it's a nifty uh, way that has been seeded um, to you know to overcome the villain and d84 is going to do his he's going to do his thing uh, D uh, gregory de polne who plays d84 uh became a great voice teacher at uh, rada or drama teacher at rada uh, and in fact my friend mark i know because he did he's done other drama schools too mark with whom i did the do not throw hands at me thing that we then did on a film set i remember all my mates had left Manchester and I stayed. And I remember sort of living in a bit of sort of limbo. I got a call out of the blue from my friend Mark. Oh, and Mark? Uh, hello, my, goodbye, my friend. Well, I'm, and I'm talking about a friend, my Mark, who I'm talking about. 
Yes, he rang me out of the blue and he was at drama school and said, uh, our, our teacher of voice, uh, he's called Gregory de Polney. He's D84. And he was chuffed because it's the one sort of Doctor Who thing that he would sort of know anyway. Uh, and he immediately rang me to tell me, which I thought was lovely because it was, it was when we'd all sort of dissipated a little bit. And, and Mark and I then didn't speak again for ages and, uh, and have occasionally over the years. And then uh, he got in touch fairly recently because his kids love Doctor Who and, and through that uh, his son Dylan s- listened to myself, my Doctor Who scarf and sent me some artwork and that is the artwork that is the artwork for this series of podcasts and videos and that's all done by Dylan Patterson son of Mark uh, and so his da- Dylan's dad has seen the robots of death and that's what seeded that's what started the long road to that this broadcast having a logo i like how it all comes together um i don't think it matters that i've talked through the ending massively i mean i i, I love yeah uh it is definitely worth acknowledging that d84's self-sacrifice is very sad and he gets to say goodbye my friend and uh, that makes me a little bit sad and a little bit teary um I like the the treatment of the robots' voices that gives it the repeated cool, cool, and and reminds us that they're mechanical for all their beauty and charming diction. When that goes wrong, it's you know it's a robotic process. Um, so actually, yeah, voice voice becomes very interesting in all sorts of areas in this episode. Um, yeah, I wish there was a chance to be a little sadder about D eighty four within within the episode. It's quite you know there's no. This had been an American thing. He might have had some sort of space funeral. Um, and I've had to look. I, I love the doctors. I mean, in, in any other person, that sort of I'm a time lord, all this sort of thing, it would seem arrogant. But he does it in such a sort of throwaway. He's got intensity, but he's got a sort of throwaway quality about him as well, which which is sort of it's paradoxical and contradictory. But it and it works. Oh, a fade. Another fade. Uh, so right three out of the four episodes fades into the titles why do i care i don't know i just like noticing things uh and what i've noticed about the robots of death is that it never fails to deliver top marks to everybody involved i mean i did i did pick on the two or three uh tiny moments that never quite work for me that's interesting because that's contrary to what i'm intending to do with this but i think it's because i've taken for granted that everyone will agree with me that this is absolutely brilliant so it seems less less egregious of me to 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 point out the bits that uh that somehow stick out as being bits where they uh where they are the drop that didn't achieve what they wanted to but there are so many bits uh where um uh things that could be done serviceably are done in an exemplary manner i think it's i mean i say it's a nine out of ten uh and do you know what i might say it's i might think it's a ten uh and i don't give tens very often um this i don't score things on this podcast i'm just talking about my own personal uh scoring system which i'll occasionally every now and again sit down and score doctor <laughs> Ten? Why? Why not? I've got shelves to put up. I've got children to influence and educate. I've got a partner to pay attention to. I've got I've got, I've got a dog to walk. But no, I've I've got money to earn and uh, scripts to write and uh, CVs to send off. And uh, but I'll 
I still ask score Doctor out of 10 because I feel it's important. Um, I do I do think that's great. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you came into it loving it, or if you came into it not loving it, uh, that's maybe helped you to go and look at it and uh, and see it in a, in a positive light. Um, so my favourite things... I, I said it's going to be hard to choose. I'm probably not going to choose an actor which is is my default because I'm uh, I do so enjoy the performances in Doctor Who but I think I'm going to I think I'm going to choose the cast. I think it's so well cast. Um that they they sort of deserve a they they they, they get a best ensemble nod at the international Emmys. Uh because I think I think they're they're they're, they're very very. Where am I? No, no, I have to because I also like the world building of Boucher's script. I really like the world building, and 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 that includes what he does with the characters. But also, there's the design. Uh, I mean, from costume set to lighting. Um, so I've got three things there, and I can choose two. So one strictly should be for episode four, and one should be. Um, uh, you know, an overall bonus thing, but you know, the cast and the design and the world building is all in episode four, so that's okay. So what's going to be, kids? Uh, cast, world. Be- Do you know what? I'm always choosing the blooming actors because I am one, and because, well, if you've listened to enough of these, you know me to me to explain what, uh, and you don't need me to give you evidence. So do you know what? I'm going to choose. And because it's not a Robert Holmes script either, I'm going to choose the world. And I think because the world has lived on, there have been Caldor City spin-offs and Big Finish has, has, has revisited the world and, and continues to do so. Um, to have made such an impact with four episodes to create a society that has sustained itself and that has come back, but not in the TV series and yet there's still enough on television to give you so much of 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 that backstory and that world and the characters who inhabit it so the world building caldor all of that the society and i think because i don't often enough the design which is going to be kenneth sharp set design um elizabeth waller's costume design and uh duncan brown's lighting design and the makeup and, and briggs is it I mean, just the, i think we call it production design the holes and the visual effects rich conway's visual effects so i think the design as an all-encompassing where which is often doctor who falls down in one area through no fault of anybody's because it's the nature of you know the sheer ambition of the show and the resources available to it so i think when it fires on all cylinders visually uh that needs to be celebrated. So I'm sorry, uh, Russell Hunter, Pamela Salem, David Bailey, David Collings, Brian Croucher, Greg Reader, Paul Ney, Tanya Rogers, Tarek Eunice, Miles Fothergill, uh, and all the robot actors. Um, uh, you do deserve a collective nod, um, but this time, it's gonna. Uh, it, this, you, you, it's your Martin Scorsese moment. I'm afraid you're 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 getting an honourable mention, but you're you're not gonna you're not gonna take the gong. So what? Is, I wonder if Gary will choose any of those things. <laughs> Let's see what Gary Russell has chosen. I'm not going to win this one because uh, I don't think I've got any of the things. I will see it as a victory if he chooses one of the things I choose. My favourite thing in episode four is 
it's the reveal. It's the reveal of Dask as Taron Capel, which comes at a brilliant moment because I remember thinking even back then I wasn't sure who the villain was. I mean, the body count was pretty high. There weren't that many options. And yet somehow that moment where you start with, with uh, Tus and Ivanov in the pilot control area and Dask is trying to get in and they're going, no, no, don't let him in. The doctor, don't let him in. And then it cuts to the outside and Dask is there in full SV7 style costume with the green face and the silver lining. And, and he's looking like a human robot. And I loved it. I loved it then and I love it even more now. David Bailey's performance is magnificent. And so the reveal of Dask is fantastic. And then it's so beautifully paid off towards the end of the episode where you have the Doctor strapped to a sort of a gurney and there's the big lasers and probe about to be dropped into him. And the Doctor looks up at Dask, stroke Taron Capel and, and says, you know, oh, I suppose you're going to give me one of those boring megalomaniac speeches about all your master plan, blah, blah, blah. And in a, in a way that is completely and utterly based on uh, Goldfinger, Taron Capel, stroke Dask, just goes, no, I'm, I'm going to kill you. Love it, love it. So the reveal of Dask as the villain and the way it is done and the, the portrayal into his madness is just my favourite thing of episode four. And then you ask for a fifth thing, um, which is very easy for me, because it's the main reason I love Robots of Death. It is a very rare case of Doctor Who successfully in just four episodes, actually successfully in really episode one, in one big sequence in episode one, uh, where all the crew talk about the death of Chubb. And, uh, and, and it starts with Ivana going, one of you murdered him. And everyone goes, well, one of us, surely. And he goes, that's what I said. And you get this whole realisation these people don't like each other. And for me, the thing that makes Robots of this so brilliant is this, the world building, is the design element and everything coming together. So you have these people who are trapped on a sand miner who've got time to probably an hour every day to make their faces up and wear the most stupidly ludicrous costumes. And they have all these art deco sets and everything is beautiful for them and they are beautiful people and they think they're beautiful people and, and they have the time to do this because this is a robot-led society. They have nothing else to do. Once every five or six days, some Lucanol or something turns up and they all run and they press their buttons and they catch the Lucanol and then they go back to doing nothing and the robots run everything. And that sense of world building and that sense of how they actually hate each other. They're, they they aren't friends, they're barely colleagues. There's there's nothing but distaste and distrust between them. Boucher's script is just magnificent. Every line, there's no lines wasted, there's nothing wasted. And he creates, and particularly in episode one, he creates this world and it's beautiful, it's amazing. And it's very rare in Doctor Who that something is so complete that, that you know, you know everything that's going on, you know the history of everything, you've got all the stuff about the first families and all of that, it's all there with this beautiful dialogue and added to it is the fantastic sets and the costumes and the makeup and of course the beautiful, beautiful robots. The Vought robots are just one of the most beautiful creations in the history of Doctor Who. So that's my fifth big reason for why I love this story and uh, I hope you enjoy watching it, Toby, because if you don't, I should be very upset and, and frankly I shall think very little of you. I shall I shall tell everyone that you're the person that doesn't like robots of death and nobody will ever want to give you a cup of tea ever again. Cheers Toby. Bye bye. Oh.
Thanks, Gary. Um, <laughs> now, see what he did there. He chose both of my things, but called them one thing because he called the world building, the scripting <laughs> and the design, uh, which was very canny of him. Uh, I don't care. I don't care whether I win. Or the, I, I mean, I do want to win one. That's my aim. <laughs> I don't know what episode this is going to be. <laughs> but I still haven't won. Um, but I don't care. But and, but he made me think there as well. Again, what I've really enjoyed about this process is occasionally being given uh, an alternative insight. And not just, oh, somebody loves a story I think's a bit naff because that's not what's happened here. But that idea about the decadence and, and, them, ha and them hating each other. Um, and people hating each other can be a bit boring in drama. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure when we get to a fifth, sixth Doctor and Perry story, they don't hate each other, but the, the bickering sometimes doesn't, it doesn't quite work. And, and I think it's a shame for those two actors who I think are great and, and do much better when they, when they get on, um, is that bickering can sometimes be childish and annoying. Um, but here it's not. Um, it's it, it, it utterly works and the dialogue sings and the characters work and the actors do it well. But, and you could, if you were ungenerous, look at those costumes and go, well, they're Im impractical. Well, certainly the hats. But I love the hats. Um, and that that's silly, wacky, space-age designer thinking. But it's not. They're designed to to reflect the fact that these people don't have to do all that much. So they, as he says, take an hour putting their makeup up and tart themselves up and preen. And we live, I mean, we, we, as I'm recording this, you know, there's a bit of consternation about influencers going to Dubai during lockdown to take photos of themselves at, and preen. And, uh, uh, and and I've seen a little bit, not the influencer world, but I've, I've, I've seen a little bit of the, the world of, of, of people who spend an awful lot of time on their appearance because of you know and I've, I feel for them in a way because because the world that they've decided to inhabit is one where you are scrutinized all of the time and the image that is given out is but look we're one of the beautiful people and everything comes to us well one you have to work to maintain that image and it's and it's built on rocky foundations because we all age and crumble but two it's it it doesn't give you happiness and and you and you see a lot of sort of bitching and avarice and crabbiness and um, backstabbing and all those sorts of things in that world which wants to present itself as nirvana as heaven as shangri-la as you know this is where the beautiful people are isn't it wonderful don't you want to be us but you're not happy these people are not happy and these people they go back stinking rich they have a job where they can lounge around um they they preen they spend all you know they get made up uh, they're comfortable but they hate each other. It doesn't bring you happiness. Um, and as I'm getting older, I'm realising that there are a lot of things that I think I see other people doing that would be the key to making me happy. They're being exhibited by people who aren't happy um, because there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And if there is, you'd probably, you'd probably bang my shins on it. Uh, put it, put the gold in my pockets and they'd break. So I, I like that idea that this, yes, this, this decadence um, has underneath it a, a core of dislike and sadness and anger and bitterness and spite, because that's a, that's a lesson to us all. Uh, whereas what does make me happy is Doctor Who. <laughs> it's a children's television programme. 
about with, as people that paint their faces silver and green. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, 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 and a sweet robot detective who sacrifices himself uh, and all of those things. Um, I've really enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that as well. Um, I think we should give the robots of death a big hand. But whatever you do, please don't throw it at me. Sadly, since I recorded this commentary, David Bailey, who played Dask, who I mentioned quite a lot uh, over the four episodes and in the present tense, uh, has passed away at the age of 83. What an interesting, enigmatic actor he was. Of course, he played the Celestial Toymaker for Big Finish. And, of course, having had a sabbatical in the 80s, where I think, did I mention this? He had a sort of carpentry business. He was certainly an expert in making furniture. He then went back to the acting profession, taking it by storm by appearing in Gladiator and three of the Pirates of the Caribbean films. So what a career he had. But I just wanted to address the fact that in the commentary, I refer to him as still being around because I recorded it before he died in early March. You were listening to Happy Times and Places. Thanks for doing so. The presenter was me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest was Gary Russell, who can be found on Twitter at Twilight Streets. Thanks to patrons who include Paul Dykes, Andrew East, David Gillespie, Charles Gears, Lisa Gledhill, Paul J. Guest, Steve Hatcher, Duncan Harvey, Simon Hodges, Sam Hollingsworth, Matthew Houliston, Darren Howard, Gregory Hudson, Paul Ingerson, Robert Jewell, Christopher Joyce, Judith Jackson, Jeff Kaplan, William Keith, Andy Kitching, Hendrik Korzeniowski, Andrew Llewellyn, Nate Lynch, and Sean McAllister. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. You can support these podcasts at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where there are early releases, there is exclusive material, and there's also the chance to get a badge or two, plus lots of other lovely stuff for as little as £3 a month. Or you could just do a one-off donation at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Everything is appreciated in these trying times, and I'll churn out as much as I possibly can as a result. Uh, and please subscribe to this YouTube channel. And also, if you could rate and review this podcast anywhere you find it, as positively as you can, that just really helps. And that costs you nothing. I have a website, www.tobyhadoke.com, and also on twitch.tv forward slash Malarkey. That's just an X and an S and then Malarkey. My comedy night that's been running in Manchester every Tuesday for 24 years continues online during the pandemic. Uh, I will be introducing four special guests from the international comedy circuit for live comedy every Tuesday at 8pm GMT. (laughs) 